Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. Natasha, I'm so happy to have you here today, especially when moms take time out of their day, because I know your time is so precious. And so you are spending it with me and with us, the world, and for other women. Like, And this is why I know women, mothers sign on to do podcasts, because your story, it is medicine for other women to learn um, especially, especially maidens. I just really hope maidens can start listening to podcasts with mothers and birth and, and arm themselves with wisdom prior to going through these life steps. So Natasha and I are internet friends. I keep saying this on every podcast, but I'm just thinking like, what a concept this is. Like, are we living in the virtual world already? <laughs> I know. It's like, wild. what's going on? I know. Um, Natasha is the empowered mama movement on Instagram. She is a wealth of knowledge. I love following her. That's how we met each other. Uh, Today, she's going to explain her fertility journey prior to her first two sons' births, which we both relate to each other on this fertility journey in some ways because we both view, quote-unquote, infertility. I don't think we both use that word either. I don't like that word. I don't believe in that word, but we believe that God is asking you to step to a higher ground in your life and to look deeper into things, whether it's diet, nutrition, or like your marriage. Like what is the condition of your marriage? And if you want to bring a soul into this family, is it really ready? Uh, things like that. And, you know, there's there's so many, so many potential things to look at with the fertility journey, but she's going to share that. And then her first birth was actually in a hospital and it was completely drug free, completely intervention free. And she would say that it was very just by the book, very sequential. And then she had her second birth, her second son's birth, which was a home birth. And she thought it would go the same way as the first birth. And it didn't, it, it rocked her. She said it completely rocked her. And it's because of the expectations she had going into it, which is why I want to talk to her because the mind is everything. Oh, I'm so happy. And then the second episode we're going to record is all about parenting. It just lights me up to talk about conscious parenting, respectful parenting, um, how parenting within fear is a very, very common tactic. So we're going to talk about parenting and trust. So Natasha, Thank you for being here, and I would love for you to do a little intro on who you are, your your background, anything you want to say. 
Okay. Thanks for having me. Um, like Leah said, I'm Natasha and I, let's see, I have two boys now. They are three and one. Um, I'm a dental hygienist by education. I'm not working right now, but I do do that occasionally off and on when I have my, just depending on where I'm at in motherhood. Um, and yeah, as Leah mentioned, I went through years of um, infertility miscarriages that really got me on the path that I'm on today. And um, my first miscarriage was within the first year we were married and then we didn't try for years. Um, but yeah, it was a long road, but it was one that was so, so needed. And of course, at the time was harder to recognize. But now that I, once I got there, I just realized how much it was needed, the higher road that it took me to, all of that. Um, so we can dive into that more. That was kind of part of my intro, but we can, do you want me to just springboard Oh yeah, it makes sense to just flow into it. Yeah. Okay. So I, let's see, I had been on birth control for five years probably. And then I got off my birth control. My doctor said, um, well, I wasn't having a period. My doctor said, okay, let's get you off birth or let's get you back on birth control you know, do Clomid first, then back on birth control to regulate your period, all this stuff. I was very, I should have said this in my initially, but I was very um, just mainstream minded at that point um, in pretty much everything. And, but I just left that appointment, just having this overwhelming feeling that like, this is not the way our bodies are supposed to work. This is not right. This is not what's, this is not the path for you. And I very strongly felt that came from God. And so I was like, well, I don't know what that means, but like, okay, I'm going to trust and we're finding a different path because this doesn't feel right. So anyway, long story short, oh, he had also said I had PCOS. Um, anyway, so long story short, I just really dove into like the, all the alternative stuff, the natural healing, dietary stuff. I had eaten a, a fairly healthy diet um, prior to that, but I, it was very like, you know, the chicken breast and the, like the very much the gym minded <laughs> type chicken breast and like rice cakes. And you know what I mean? That type of thing, calories and low fat anyway. So I just dove into, yeah, all the nutrition stuff, anything I could find, whether that was a, a podcast, a book, uh, anything. Ultimately I ended up healing myself like from the PCOS I would I found a PA that I would just tell her what I wanted for lab work and she just was she didn't ask any questions she just like would write it up for me I ultimately ended up working with a functional medicine doctor anyway then all of that just led me onto a different path as far as healing and my understanding of like medicine mainstream versus you know the outsider's views and just how distorted and wrong so many of our mainstream ideas are, whether that's medicine, diet, all of that. So anyway, um, I went through dental hygiene school around that time as well. And that also gave me different views on just what it looks like to get educated from people who are educated in this mainstream way and just like how those ideas just, it's just like an echo chamber. So that kind of gave me even more of a, an idea, or I guess more of a, almost like a bias against the mainstream medicine, because I thought, okay, 
if this is how I'm learning and it's we're not supposed to ask these certain questions or we're not supposed to explore these certain topics like fluoride or whatever, and it's just shut down, like how is that applied to medicine? Like this is exactly, you know. Yeah, what? you you started seeing that it was actually a religion and an unhealthy religion where you can't question. And so everyone in the religion of science is indoctrinated to this one way of thinking. And if you start questioning, you become an outsider. And, yes. And you saw that firsthand. Absolutely. I saw that firsthand. It was, luckily, our, the supervi supervising dentist over the program, he was older and retired, but he had started to get into functional medicine and he was actually getting his master's in functional medicine just for fun. So he was very like-minded as far as just like the open-mindedness and stuff. So he really like pushed me to explore those things and he, you know, without like the judge, I mean, I still had judgment from others, some, some of my cohorts and then some of the instructors as well. But he was like very much some, someone who just gave me the courage to just like step out of those bounds, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely just this religion. I don't know, just a, a science that it's like, you don't question these things. This is the way it is. Anyway, and I saw that on a very small scale in dental hygiene school, and I just thought I can't imagine, like, medical school on this large scale, not to mention, like, you know, textbooks that are written or largely, not written by, but largely funded by Colgate, for example, and then the same thing happens in the medical community. They're, they're funded by these pharmaceutical companies, or the continuing education courses that you take are, they cost money if you want to take good ones, but they're free if they come from these large corporations or large businesses. And it's just this huge, terrible cycle. So I really started questioning there and I, I had gone through a miscarriage like at the beginning of school. Anyway, so through that couple of years between like my continued miscarriage and, and fertility struggles and then going through school and learning and unlearning, that was a good combination for me to just recognize like, just how messed up the system is but also like how powerful my body was and healing was and uh, nutrition was so yeah it was it was the combination that i needed to get me to where i'm at you were having fertility issues and god or your gut instinct i think they're one in the same was like you don't need to do this through the system with their drugs you can Absolutely listen to your body you can trust your body and heal yourself which to me really is maiden versus mother so you're kind of like getting into that mother energy of taking responsibility for yourself not being a maiden and being like science save me from my broken body yes and so totally. that i can see how that armed you then with getting pregnant with your first son knowing you still went into the system because home birth wasn't on your brain, but you knew you could do it without their drugs. Yes, I totally gained, I felt like the confidence to just realize how capable I was and my body was, and that was such a huge mindset shift for me. Um, and I just felt like with every, I, I strongly believe in the principle of action in regards to action is required on our part, for God to do his part in many ways. And so I just felt like 
it, it, you know, it's a principle of faith, essentially. Like I was willing to take a step and do something that felt scary to me as far as healing or whatever. I Because I literally walked into this fertility healing journey blindly. And I just would take a step like, okay, I'm going to start listening to this podcast and try this. And I just felt like with every step I took, God illuminated the path a little bit more and a little bit more. And I, anyway, so the same thing transfers over to really pregnancy, birth, motherhood. So it's just a principle that I've used and seen over and over like work in my life. So yeah, I, I, um, when I got pregnant with my first, my oldest son, I still couldn't, I couldn't believe it for the longest time. And I was, part of me just was always convinced like something was going to go wrong because I had had three miscarriages. And so, but I just kept taking those steps forward. And I, I did like a hypnobirthing class and just did all I could to learn and unlearn everything that I could, um, did hypnobirthing, read, you know, Ina and a few other books, listen to podcasts. I had seen my sister deliver her bait, one of her kids naturally in the hospital. And just that was a huge thing for me too, because prior to that, I hadn't really known anyone that had gone that route. And so I just was like, oh, I think I could do that. I think that's what I want. And then at that point, I was so strongly against medication for myself. I thought, why would I do that to myself when I'm in labor for one, but two, do that to my baby. It's just, that's- well, yeah. If you don't take drugs in your normal life, if you're not popping opioids, to then do it for birth is very misaligned. It is. It really is. And, you know, I just, that was my why. I always tell moms if they're trying to navigate all of this and, you know, I want to go without an epidural, but but this or that, I, you have to find your why and you have to stick with it. And your why has to be greater than your fear of pain or your fear of whatever like your why has to be strong. And for me, my why was that I wanted to protect my baby at all costs from the very beginning. And I thought there's not going to be any medication. There's going to be no Pitocin, no epidural, nothing. So um, I I still feel at that point I was pretty timid. Well, relatively timid compared to now, I guess. Just as far as like speaking up to doctors, I was just nervous about getting kind of pushed around or, you know, home birth wasn't on my radar because I hadn't really known anyone that had home birth. And I, home birth's really common now on social media, but that prior to COVID, it wasn't as common. Like it's very common now. Thank goodness. I think that exposure is wonderful. And we see all the time, no matter what kind of space you're in. But anyway, at that point, it wasn't on my radar. So I just thought now, you know, unmedicated birth in the hospital was like the best or only option, it seemed to me. Anyway, so I did hire a doula who was incredible. Just She just, having someone back me up who knew birth well and stuff really just gave me confidence. She would help present pros and cons to me. She she would help me realize like, because at that point, if I were to ask my doctor like, hey, I don't think I want to do the standard glucose test or whatever, they'd be like, no, you need to, or else your baby is going to die type of thing. That's the fear mongering is insane. Everything's like, do this or your baby will die or there's going to be a complication. And yeah, so because, gonna... because they, they know the human ego is motivated by fear. So for them to say, if you don't do this, you will die or your baby will die is the, the greatest motivator for the human ego. And it works like a charm unless 
you yourself have your own convictions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then especially coming out of having miscarriages and how traumatizing that was for both myself and my husband, of course, I didn't want to do anything that would um, risk my baby, you know, and I didn't really, I I knew better, but I didn't know better. You know, I was still unlearning and learning all these things. So anyway, having my doula as kind of someone be like, yeah, that's totally sound for you to want or not want this or that. Um, so she was just kind of my advocate to help me, to help guide me through those things. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, my birth, it's the birth itself. Well, actually I should go through my, during the pregnancy and, um, I just was bullied so much by, and, and it's funny because at the time I just thought like, well, whatever it is, what it is. But in hindsight, I'm just like, I just can't believe that moms go through pregnancy this way to just have to fight for yourself an entire pregnancy and birth. It's just insane. So anyway, yeah, I, when I went into labor, I was 42 weeks. So of course they had been pushing for the past three weeks, essentially like your baby could get too big, your baby, you know, stillbirth rates go up after 40 weeks, all these things. And I felt so strongly, so strongly, like, do not induce, do not induce. And I just went with it. And that was probably my biggest leap of faith was not inducing. Um, And so 42 weeks, I went into labor on, well, I actually, I talked to my baby. I said, we're getting really close to 42 weeks. I'm getting nervous, like work with mom here. They're trying to, you know, if we, if we wait too much longer, I may get nervous. We might have to do so do things we don't like. You know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point. Anyway, my baby came the next day and um, yeah, I just um, was so felt so strongly about not inducing. And when I did have my baby, it was so empowering. And so just I remember that night after everything had calmed down, I just like looked at him and I I was like, we did it. Like we, cause I felt like so much of my strength and bravery came from him because I felt like that wasn't part of who I was before. From the moment I became pregnant with him, I just became this different, like trailblazing self type of mama bear. And I, to this day, I still tell him like, you made, you made mama brave. You made mama brave. <laughs> I feel like each child gives you one huge quality and, you know, collectively, children do that. But I I do feel like one, each child gives you a different quality that you need if, if you can tune into that. And if you're willing, you know, so for me, I tell them you, you made mom brave. So, yeah. So I'm curious when, I'm curious when you went to the hospital and then how respectful were they? Because you, you had very strong convictions. You knew what you wanted, what you did not want. And a lot of first time moms, don't get their way with it. But I believe that the hospital staff has a huge role in it and you don't have control over the hospital staff. So there's an Mm -hmm. element of surrender and trust if you're going to the hospital with the hospital staff. Absolutely, yeah. When So my when I had gone to like the OB visits prior to, that's when a lot of kind of the fear mongering went on. Once I got to the hospital and there was no OB there, I had my LND nurse. She was, sorry, I hit the table. She was um from Ghana and she had 
seen physiological birth, like, you know, from being from Ghana. And she totally was, she was so hands off. I think she recognized too, just that I had, I, I took control of my birth and I had my doula there and I had my husband who was supportive. I had my mom there and I, she was just very hands-off and she was amazing. And, but yeah, that's one of the things that's hard is you don't know the staff that you're going to have. And I have, I have three sisters and they've all delivered naturally, well, unmedicated in a hospital. And, um, one of them has had a home birth as well, but, but all of their hospital births, luckily they all had good staff, but yeah, that's one of the things that that's an unknown that is hard because if you go and have someone who doesn't understand birth or doesn't respect your choices, doesn't respect your timeline, it's just tricky. Um, I do think there's, like I said, the principle of action to me is, is very, I just have like a really strong testimony about it as far as like you need to do the work to um i don't know receive certain blessings or however you want to say it and so i do think that was helpful but then there's some moms who don't have that experience so that's hard to say for me that worked because i do feel like my work beforehand and just the confidence i built beforehand really helped me because of the steps I was willing to take, but that's not everyone's situation. So that's hard to say for certain, but you know, that was luckily the case for me. Yeah. So your hospital birth was very straightforward and very classic. Mm -hmm. So then you got pregnant with your second and you were, and, and home birth got on your radar then, and you can say why it got onto your radar, but that's why I want to set the stage for you and your home birth with expectations, especially because home birth is like, oh, it will be 100% blissful and perfect and pain-free and all the Instagram birth things. And the truth is that birth is medicine and you will be given, I think, by God, what you need for your growth. Absolutely. And that's your story. Yeah, that's my story. So yeah, I um, home birth, got on my radar because so I had my son in January 2020 and then of course all of the craziness of 2020 I would see stories of moms being separated from their babies because they tested positive you know or for COVID or c-section babies that were separated by a shower curtain essentially and they just touched hands and you know of course the news tried to make it look like it was some touching thing and I'm like that is disturbing just all of it. And so I became even more mama bear during that time. And I just said to my husband, if we have another baby, then there's no way I'm birthing in a hospital because with all of these crazy things that have happened, the unknowns, and you know, even if things have calmed down by the time we have another baby, who knows what could happen the last month before I deliver or whatever. And I'm not going to risk that. Like there's no way. And he was you know, he was on board. He's like, yeah, I see what you're saying. And anyway, so um, I, yeah, when I got pregnant with my second son, I found a midwife. I knew from the beginning I was going to do it at home. And um, I just, yeah, you have these images in your mind of what it's going to be like, especially when you have a, my first birth was just 
overall just so blissful. Like it was the just the right amount of um, in, intensity and to like push me, but not too much to where I doubted myself too much. You know, it was just like, honestly, like just picture perfect, I guess, as far as um, what people would expect a birth to be. And, and it empower- sounds like your first was not too uncomfortable to challenge you because your second one was so uncomfortable, which is why it challenged you so much, but which is yeah. why you learn so much. It's when we get uncomfortable <laughs> in life when we're challenged. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's so many parallels to life from birth. It's incredible. Yeah, so I my contraction started on a Friday night. Oh, around wait, one eight- second, one second. Oh. Your, your big thing is that you switched midwives. Oh, yeah, Late. yeah, I do. You know, yeah, I switched midwives late. It was probably have, early the trimester. You have to say that because was that <laughs> right, your gut yeah. instinct? It was. I forgot about that. Yeah, I so I hired this one and I liked her. I really liked her. There um and I liked her the assistant she had with her and there were there weren't any issues, but I just kept kept feeling pulled to like explore another option. And I thought, well, maybe it's because we moved and this one's a little further away. I don't know, but I need to at least, one of my friends um, who's a birth worker, she's she's like, you need to explore that. Like that, what are you being called for? Or what are you being called to do? So I explored it. I found one that I had contacted actually early on because I knew we were moving out this way and I just had never heard back from her. So I just thought, oh, well, you know. So I found her again and I met with her and just said, I don't know why I'm feeling called to switch, but I just want to meet with you and kind of see. And so I met with her and I I really liked her. They're very similar, similar age, similar approach, you know, just they seemed so similar. And um, then as I was trying to decide, I just, I prayed about it and I looked at her website my newer midwife and or the midwife I ended up using and I just saw this picture of her on there and like I just had this feeling like just instantly like yes there's this piece like this is who I needed to switch to which financially didn't make sense because I was losing money you know I already had good insurance which didn't work with or I couldn't use with my home birth and then I was paying this money and then I had to still pay my old midwife and you know anyway so it didn't make sense in any way financially logically nothing but intuitively it made sense that that's what I needed to do so I switched it you know no hard feelings with my old midwife she was very supportive she's like if that's what you're feeling called you need to do it you know which was incredible to this day I'm still not entirely sure why I switched I don't know. You know, I thought maybe after the birth, I'd have some clarity of like, oh, that birth was so fast or whatever. But the yeah, to this day, I don't know. But I, I love I, that, though. We don't need to know. And that's the thing with intuition is we are always trying to find the whys and the reasoning. And that's not how God works. Like we and, and to me, that's faith, too. Like if you're called to action to switch, you need to switch and you don't need to know why. It doesn't need to make sense to our logical mind because in the spiritual world, it makes sense somehow. And that's, we just need to trust that. Were mm-hmm. you like 30 something weeks? Weren't you kind of late? Yeah, I was, I want to say I was like 32 weeks, maybe 31. So yeah, nothing made sense <laughs> on I, paper sense, like nothing. I think that's so amazing though. And especially because 
you said your first midwife, there was nothing wrong, nothing happened. And I think that is the case a lot of the time is that they're a nice human. And I, and I hear that on so many podcasts of like, oh, they were so nice. And yes, like when we meet strangers and we, we hire them for a service, they're nice. Like that's just, that's what they are. But it doesn't mean they're for you. And your mm-hmm. intuition only will tell you that because I think our mind a lot of times is like, but they seem like a nice person. So then I should hire them. But when your gut instinct is saying something different, we got to trust it. That's so true. That's such a good point. Like how often do we trust someone or choose someone because they're nice? Like you said, yep. I had a friend that was using her and really liked her. So I'm like, okay, well, this is the right choice for me. Like there's nothing wrong with it. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting and one of the bigger leaps of faith I've taken again, just with how later I or how much later I was in pregnancy and stuff like that. But yeah, I yeah. So I am curious if you did less testing in your second son's pregnancy than the first. What's that like? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't do so I did do a twenty week anatomy scan. Um and if I have another baby, I don't even know if I'll do that. But I, I didn't do anything else. I didn't do glucose. I didn't do, um, oh, that's another one interesting thing. I didn't do the um, groupie strep in my first pregnancy. I was positive. So they were pushing antibiotics. And that's another thing that I, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> that's that a I huge did, point. Yeah, I declined that because I just, I did all the research I could. And I know there's a risk, but I just felt very strongly that it wasn't, the route I needed to take so yeah because there's risk with everything everything going to the hospital includes risk um given antibiotics includes risk to yourself and to your baby's microbiome every single choice in birth in life includes risk and we get to decide which risk we will take and which is very little risk and for or high risk and for you taking the antibiotics even though you were group b strep positive that was too risky yeah absolutely and i had become really fascinated by the microbiome like in a couple years prior and had learned so much about it and i felt like that was a huge reason why i declined and and why i learned it was because because i needed to decline that and i i think i absolutely think we talk all about the risks of like this could happen to your baby but the risks of antibiotics on the microbiome and and how that affect us for life or how affect how that affects babies for life is is a risk that's not explored enough or even well known enough so anyway yeah so but yeah there's risks involved no matter what and it doesn't matter how big a risk is on paper statistically for for anything if because that risk doesn't necessarily extend to you which is why intuition is so important again because you you have to that's an individualized answer by someone who knows better than you god intuition is always god so yeah that was another big bold move that i made during my first pregnancy that i never would have thought i would have made but yeah between that and not getting induced um, those were my two big things. So, but yeah, with my second pregnancy, it was so funny. My midwife was just, I mean, it's not funny. It's just 
their nature just so laid back and just like well do you want to do the groupie strep test do you want to do the the diabetes test do you you know how are you feeling about that like and you know I'm like you know no I don't want to do either because I just don't feel it's necessary and so she was like okay no problem you know (laughs) so it's funny because when you're used to regular health care whether that's maternal or just you know, everyday healthcare, you're looking for someone to tell you what to do or like, so after each appointment, I almost left like some, some appointments I'm like, well, like she didn't tell me to do anything or like she, she didn't give me much, you know, insight or, you know, it just almost, I left sometimes thinking like, okay, like why in hindsight, it was almost like, why is she trusting me so much? (laughs) Which is such a funny mindset shift when you go from just mainstream to someone who, who trusts, trusts birth. And I actually saw on Instagram the other day, something that said like a home birth or a, a midwife who knows her place essentially knows that she's not needed. And that is totally the approach that this midwife had. And actually when I saw that, I thought, I wonder if that's part of why I switched to the, or needed to switch to this midwife was to see like just how much trust she had in me. It was almost like triggering to me. <laughs> like, um, hello, can you like give me a little more? <laughs> I, think, I, I love that you brought that up because that is our programming. You know, like the conventional medical system doesn't trust bodies in general, but it definitely doesn't trust women in birth. And it operates, its whole motivation is fear. That's why it exists, is fear of death. And the medical system's really not for you if you don't have that fear of death typically. Like, you know, that's why I don't partake in it. Um, But what I find interesting is some midwives and not all midwives are created equal, you know, just like all doctors are not created equal. There's great doctors, there's subpar doctors, there's great midwives and there's subpar midwives. So you always have to, you know, really find the midwife that works for you. But I love what you're saying, because to me, it's really demonstrating the system that is motivated by fear, the medical system. And then midwives are operating in the energy of trust. And that felt so foreign to you, (laughs) even though you wanted it. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny because it's like, I wanted it, but subconsciously I was like, I felt like, yeah, like I said, triggered by her trust in me, which is really fascinating too, because I feel like on my Instagram, any of the posts that I've made that talk about trusting yourself are the ones that get the most triggered comments. And it's like, why are you so triggered by my trust in you? Like, or my trust in women, whether that's, you know, birth or whatever, it's just so fascinating to see because, and I almost get like a glimpse of myself, like prior to this birth of just, yeah, triggered by someone's trust in you and trust in God and all of that. Yeah, I think Instagram comments is, and Instagram in general is such an amazing practice to your subconscious beliefs, like the beliefs in your mind that you don't even know exist. So say you're reading a post and you're triggered. That is an indication of something within you. It, it's You're not a victim to the post. The post literally is a flashlight that highlighted something in you. So if someone is triggered by your post about trusting yourself, they're probably triggered because they are envious of your trust because they don't trust themselves. And there's many, there's, 
it could be many things, but I think that's typically the one is envy of your trust because they wish they can trust, but they don't. Absolutely. And, I and, love trigger reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, self, like when I get a trigger, I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I need to explore this. <laughs> yeah. After I get over the initial, like, you know, trigger emotion that comes, I'm like, okay, this has to be explored. What is it trying to tell me? Exactly. It's such an amazing, it's a, it's an amazing practice. And I really do love watching on a post of all the varying comments from positive to negative to neutral and seeing how each comment is is a mirror, is a reflection of the person commenting. The person that says, I love this so much, that is how their inner world is with that topic. But the person that says, this is so horrible, I can't believe you said that, that is what their inner world is. And every comment is a reflection of people's inner world. And it's so interesting to me. It is interesting. Yeah. Social media is like this bubble that's so interesting to view, like a fish tank. Like, wow, so yeah. much to unpack there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's move into your birth. Okay. Yeah. So on Friday night around 8.30, I started to have contractions. And I had lost my mucus plug a couple hours prior with this birth as well, I was 42 weeks and I thought he would maybe come earlier just with a second birth. You know, I don't know. You have all these expectations and ideas in your head. And even though you don't want to commit to them, sometimes like subconsciously, you don't fully surrender because you just think, oh, well, this is how it's probably going to happen, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I, um, yeah, the contractions right from the beginning were so strong. And I texted my midwife, maybe an hour into it. And I just told her they're, they're close together. They're really strong. I knew second births often are faster than first. So I just thought, I don't really know. <laughs> well, yeah, because and, you, when they start off strong, like you could literally have your son in 30 minutes or four days. You literally don't know. Yes. It's so wild. And something that's under discussed in home birth, I feel like that I thought was just me, but I had so many women reach out and say the same thing was you don't want to text your midwife too soon because you don't want her waiting around for you. You have this just almost this fear of someone waiting on you, someone waiting for you or yeah, it was so and that was a theme that played through my head the entire birth like oh they're still waiting for me they're still here they've been here for so many hours like even in the morning I remember them like getting food and I was like oh maybe I should have my husband go find the credit card so we can pay for it and I'm like at this point 15 hours into birth I don't know and that's the thought that's going through my head or just what? like you're probably so annoyed with me or you know it was wild I'm like why am I having these thoughts yeah and so many women reached out and said they had similar like this host mindset of just like oh I need to make sure they're comfortable or where are they sleeping where are they staying right now you know are they okay so wow. yeah you're highlighting like to me the fear of being centered because you you probably couldn't handle it's the fear of your midwife coming to the birth and being there for three days and feeling so dis uncomfortable that they're uncomfortable. And the, the, the fear that it's just the fear of being centered because who am I to make someone else 
uncomfortable. I need to be making people comfortable. Oh my gosh. And this is really deep stuff. Yeah. (laughs) It was such an interesting thing because from the very beginning, I'm like, I don't want her here for too long. Like that's not fair to her. Even though I knew that was her job and what I'm paying her for, it was just wild. I even had to text my one friend who I mentioned before, who's a birth worker and just, she's like, no, this is what they're there for. You're fine. Text her if you're ready, you know? So yeah, it's a fascinating thing. It that is. I, unique to me, but it's not. It's, it's not. It's our subconscious beliefs of wanting to make people comfortable and to make them happy and please them. And it's very mm-hmm. universal. It's very human, but it is very woman, especially in your yeah. own home. Having people in your own home and not catering to them is so different it was a hard thing to navigate and one that was unexpected and i had felt like that way even weeks prior like leading up to the birth like okay is everything ready like constantly and that's not the headspace you need to be in when you're trying to you know prep to have a baby so it was really yeah really interesting and i think people pleasing is so it's such a common thing as women And it's why we do a lot of the things we do. Like it's why we often don't stand our ground when it comes to our doctors or it's why we birth in a hospital when something's telling us otherwise or whatever. And so, yeah, and that extended to being at home and just like thinking I needed to people please while I'm in labor. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, that was a very fascinating thing to explore and kind of unpack through as I like process this whole birth. So anyway, yeah. So I, to continue with the birth story, I did ended up, I end up texting her and um, I was in the tub when they got there and I, I'll never forget how just the energy of these women walking into my room, just like, it just was this, I, I don't know. I'll just never forget that feeling of just, this is really cool to be surrounded by women in birth. This is, I don't know. It just felt just this energy shift. It was amazing. So um, honestly, the rest of the birth is so much a blur. It was, I would say that the contractions were no less than a pain scale of eight out of 10 the entire time. I kid you not the entire time. I didn't even know the only reason I knew transition hit because the contractions stayed the same they were all eight out of ten or higher intensity wise was because I started throwing up like over and over and over um and I um yeah I I've only thrown up like twice ever in my life prior to that so I was just like there's no way this is happening but I knew it was coming um at one point my water broke but we found out after I delivered, it never completely broke. There was like a tear in the posterior. And so I just thought, I just remember once my water broke, I thought, okay, now things are going to speed up because that's what happened with my first birth. So I was just waiting for things to pick up and then they never did. (laughs) It was just hours of that, of just me thinking like, okay, now things are going to pick up. So then at one point, I just remember feeling so defeated. And I just, I remember I was in the bathroom just me and my husband and my, I just had my head leaning against the wall. And I just told my husband, like, something's wrong. Something's wrong with my body. My body's broken. And those words 
came out and I I hadn't, that was a recurring thought I had when I was going through fertility and miscarriages. My body is broken. My body is broken. And I, it's funny because I hadn't had that thought in years, you know, and then in my vulnerability, that resurfaced and I, and I didn't realize it at the time, didn't make that connection. But when I sat down and wrote my birth story out, which I highly recommend for anyone, it's so healing to write it out. I realized, I made that connection of just, man, when birth just brings up these vulnerabilities and these things that need healed in the most incredible, beautiful way, it's such a gift. And so anyway, I just remember telling that to him over and over, like, I can't, I'm broken. And that was kind of my mindset for the remainder of birth, which was so different from my first birth, which felt, I felt very empowered by. I never felt like I can't do this. It was like, I'm doing this in my first birth. And then my second, once I hit that wall, it was hard for me to get out of it, which is another lesson applicable to life. Like when we have that mentality of like, I can't do this or just dig ourselves into that hole, almost of like a victimhood or just defeat, it's hard to get out of it when we keep that cycle going in our minds. So um, yeah, that was my thought. Like that thought kind of continued. And again, I kept thinking like, like, why is my midwife not saving me? <laughs> it was like, almost still like, why is she just trusting? Like, she'll come in and be like, how's everything going? You know, whatever, or like in and out. And I just like, subconsciously, I think I, well, I just wanted her to like do more. Like, can you, can you fix this without, you know, which is funny because I had an unmedicated home birth for a reason, but it's like, I wanted her to do something, but it, and at one point I even had her check me, even though like I knew that that's not really a good indicator. I'm just like, I need a receipt that something's happening because I've been going through this forever. Just tell me, you know, anyway. So yeah, the timeline's still such a blur to me. I ended up, I envisioned myself giving birth in the tub. I got in the tub. My hips were so tight. I couldn't even sit up. I was like leaning against the edge of the pool and I was like, I, this is not where I need to be. And so I got on the bed and I didn't feel comfortable on my back. I went to my side um, with my first birth. It was just like three easy, like quote unquote pushes. You know, he came out very quickly with this, with this birth. And oh, I should also say it was very like a very like blissful, like what you would see maybe in like a blissful birth video. There he is, you know. <laughs> and then my second birth on the bed, I like I made every sound under the sun. <laughs> like I screamed, I roared, I just yeah, I I yelled this baby out. I roared this baby out and um I thought he was out all the way and it was just his head. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, what do I do now? You know, and anyway, they're like, oh, it's just his head out. So then I pushed out, pushed again, roared again, and he came out and I caught him. And um, actually, it's funny, my son was downstairs. He was two at the time and he heard me yell and he's like, I hear the baby. <laughs> so I'm like, no, that was me. So anyway, um, but yeah, even I felt like even after I had him, I was, 
I just, I caught him and I was, it was, I didn't cry. It wasn't this instant. It was just like this moment of like familiarity. Like, you know, sometimes you, you see these videos of, of this this blissful crying and it was just like, oh, there you are. (laughs) Hey buddy. Like it's been a minute since I've seen you. It was so interesting because I felt that all through my pregnancy too with him, just this such familiarity with him. And, um, yeah, he's just like this incredible little spirit that I felt from before he was born. He told me his name, like in a dream. He just has such a strong spirit. And I felt that all through. And then I first, sorry, my, my birth story is so jumbled because in my mind, it's still just, I don't, timelines are so lost, even though I wrote it out and everything. So I forgot to mention as I was pushing, I, I reached down to like touch his head so that I could, that could kind of guide me and I could feel him. And just the moment I touched his head, I just gained so much strength just from feeling his little head there. And just, it was like the past, however many hours I had been in labor, I think it was 20 total was that I was in labor. Just all of that disappeared as I just felt like this strength immediately not not even just like emotionally, this true energetic physical strength that as soon as I touched his head, I just, I can do this. We're working together. And um, anyway, so yeah, that was an amazing redeeming moment for me when I pushed him out and I felt his head and then had him on my chest. What, so, what prevented you from really wanting saving from like transferring to the hospital if you're if you were like really in victim mindset like what prevented that I just I wasn't there anymore as far as like my belief in needing my belief in like a hospital birth like I think I wanted my midwife to save me just as far as like I grew up with a very like doting loving nurturing always there mother and I almost felt like I wanted my midwife to be that to be like that or if I would have had my mom there or something just to be like I don't know it's you I feel like in a lot of ways you go throughout your adult life you go back to your childhood and how you were loved and supported especially in moments of grief or pain or whatever and um it's like that's what I was looking for from my midwife, but I had never laid those expectations for, but that's what I was seeking. I wasn't necessarily seeking saving from as far as like an epidural or some sort of medical intervention. It was almost like emotional. And my husband was was that, but it's different from a mother female energy. And I I did I took for granted having my mom there at the first birth. And I wish I would have, that was, that's my one regret about this birth is I wish I would have tried harder to have her here because it's so hard to navigate having someone here for a birth. She lives across the country just because it's so unpredictable. And so that's my one regret because I recognized how, how strong of a, or how much comfort I get from my mom. (laughs) Okay. And Uh, also it just sounds like you're not even in the mind frame that the hospital can save you. I'm not. There's there's not an ounce of belief of, in, of that in me, which I think started before my birth, just my loss of belief in the medical system. But then that totally went out the door completely, my belief in the medical system. 
after his birth and through 2020, after my older son's birth and through 2020, just seeing all of that. So yeah, there's nothing in me that believes that the hospital is there to save me through, you know, they're great for emergencies, car accidents, <laughs> whatever, but not for births or yeah. So yeah, there's nothing in me that, that a hospital does it for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what I hear. Um, a, a, an aspect of this second birth that I love that you said on Instagram, or maybe it's just my takeaway from it, is that you you felt like God was like, do you really trust me? Do you really trust your body? And you had to walk through the greatest fiery fire to, <laughs> in victimhood, in believing your body's broken, but you kept walking. And you kept believing and trusting, even though it didn't look that way. And then you did it. And to me, that's really, really, really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I just, I feel like in this birth, God really solidified the lessons he's been trying to teach. You know, we all have our weaknesses and our major weaknesses and just a full surrender and trust and like, not trying to control everything what is a huge one that's been a theme my entire life and i just feel like yeah and and he just catapulted me into through this birth which again birth is such a gift in those ways when we take the time to unravel it all um yeah that's that was definitely a theme through this that I recognized and he needed me to, <laughs> to learn again and again and again, you know? Yeah, and it's probably going to come again in the future because we no, always I, need these reminders. Like yeah, we have a good surrender, like we might be trusting and surrendering and then something happens and then, you know, we're rocky and then we need a reminder and it's mm -hmm. like this constant thing in life and that's how my life is too. Oh, it took you, it took you many months or like a year to process it, right? It did. Every time I would try to write it out, I just, like I said, timeline wise, it was a blur, which isn't necessarily like the most important to get all the details of timelines and, you know, but yeah, I just over months kept writing it out and adding to it. And that really helped me process it. And when I finally like, shared it publicly, I feel like was the big thing that helped me to process it. Just, I don't know. Yeah. It took me a long time though. It, a year, I, or I would say a year. And there's some piece that, pieces of it that still I'm like, I don't know how to explain it. It feels like not completely processed and kind of a blur because, you know, we think of traumatic being a bad thing as far as like, oh, this ended traumatic and she was in the hospital or whatever. But in a lot of ways, it was, I think any birth can be somewhat traumatic. It's, a, it's just a big event that needs process. And I don't use traumatic in like a negative light. It's just big. And sometimes big events need processed <laughs> or the expectation, expectation pain as a lot of you know, life coaches will call it just these expectations of what I thought I'd be like in birth or what I thought this birth would look like, or, you know, even the expectation of, oh, I thought I was going to deliver in the tub and here I am on the bed, you know? And so, yeah, it just, it took me a while to process. Um, but, and I almost through it, through that year, 
was like negative toward myself and toward my experience. And as I processed it more and recognized those lessons in it, I'm so grateful for it. And it was so beautiful and it was exactly what I needed. And I don't, I don't think when I first had him, I would have thought I'd be saying these words, but I, I loved, yeah, I loved the birth. It was everything I needed. 